Hey guys, my name is Crystal Kenny, and I'm in love with creating. All things artistic and imagination involved. I'm an American girl who chased her creative dreams all the way to Paris, France, making a living using photography. This podcast takes you inside the stories of all the artsy folks I've met along the way and gives you that extra push to discover your creative gifts. The desire to create is deeply inside each and every one of us, and I give you the tools and inspiration to find a new way of living a more creative life. This is La Vie Creative, the podcast. Claudine Hemingway is a descendant of famed writer Ernest Hemingway. We bumped into each other at a party and decided to team up and dive deep into French history, but with a twist, by bringing a spotlight to those lesser-known creatives in France. This is History with a Hemingway. Welcome back to Paris History Advocate Hemingway. I'm back with Claudine, and today we are talking about Dora Maar. So I'm going to let Claudine explain who this woman was and why she was another fascinating woman in French history. Yeah, Dora Maar is a really great story, and um, I wanted to do one about her because I wanted to give um, a voice and give the story of somebody that's just basically known as one of Picasso's lovers. Ladies. Yes, one of his many ladies. Um, but Dora Marr is a fascinating character. She was born November 22nd, 1907. Um, she was named at that time Henriette Theodore uh, Markovich. She was born in Paris um, at 89 Rue d'Assez, which is um, up kind of towards uh, Montparnasse, kind of right in between Montparnasse and Saint-Germain, and a maternity clinic. Um, her father, Joseph, um, was an architect from a Croatia originally. Oh. And then, yeah, super kind of, that, that's kind of cool. And then her mother, um, Louis-Julie uh, uh, Voisson, was from Cognac, and she had a fashion boutique. This is interesting family. Yeah, I've never, I don't think we've ever come across somebody that wasn't, you know, Jean Levin or yeah. somebody like that that had a fashion boutique. And that was a lot, I mean, that was in the early 1900s. Wow. Uh, so in 1910, she and her family headed um, down to Buenos Aires, Argentina, because her father had um, a job there and designing buildings. Uh, but then um, later on, she ended her her mom came back to France. And in 1923, she enrolled in the um, Union, Union um, Centrale des Arts Décoratifs, and then later the L'Académie Julienne in 1927. The Julienne um, was at the time kind of the only school women could actually go to. And that was actually had been for quite a, some time um, that if women wanted to go to school, that this, uh, the Julianne actually was accepting women um, as students, as artists. Oh, so she was like one of the few in the beginning. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, definitely. Cause the, the Ecole des Beaux-Arts, like women couldn't go there or they'd only let like two of them in a year. Hmm. Julianne actually was taking, would actually take more students that were women um, than anybody else. So it was like the only way for a lot of the women artists to, to be able to get um, to go to school. Um, but shortly after that, she ended up meeting a set designer named Pierre Kiefer and Louis Chavans, who um, she actually ended up becoming involved with um, that lasted over seven years. But um, with Pierre Kiefer, she ended up um, opening and having a studio with him that they shared. He um, did these set designs. And she, of course, at that time, she was she started out. She was really into photography. That's basically what she's known for um, now. Um, 
as she started to get jobs, she actually reached out to Man Ray because it was at that period of, in Paris and she wanted to be his assistant. Uh, but then when he met her, he decided she would be better as a model um, for him to, for his photographs and that she could, you know, she could just be there and see, you know, kind of like when Suzanne Valadon, like, you know, was a model and soaked up everything from the artists. And so she would be working with um, Man Ray and uh, all of the other um, uh, photographers at that time that was really starting to become a big thing in Paris. I love that. It, she's like, I want to help you take photos. And he's like, no, you should be a model and like get naked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's photography, so it's probably not all about nakedness. Uh, it's crazy, you know, the uh, surrealist um, art, some of it. I mean, he did like some of the stuff is um, there's that one movie. I don't think it was Man Ray. I can't think of who it is where it's, or it's Louis Bunnell, where they basically show like um, a very close up of an eyeball getting sliced. With like oh, a no. horrific. I have not seen it. There's no way I could ever watch that. Just yeah, no, 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 um, no. Um, so, but I hopefully Tara wasn't doing anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. But in May 1931, she officially changed her name, so she went by Dora Mar professionally. Um, and Mar, of course, was kind of a shortening of her last name. Um, and she, at that time, she started working with a lot of um, in fashion with fashion. Um, designers and she would do a lot of um photographs that would be used in magazines and for publicity that's cool yeah so a year after that in 1932 she and um, pierre they uh, moved their studio and they moved it out to nuit sur seine um and they ended up out there uh, for quite some time she ended up living there in the same building with him for a while as well um and then uh she ended up at that time, she was asked to join this exposition that was done in Paris um, and then also went to Brussels. Um, and so she was basically would work with Kiefer like they would have their own kind of joint shows um, and joint um, art that they worked on together as well as her own um, own stuff on her own. This is huge for a woman of that time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's I mean, this is the 1930s. It's, uh, you know, not it's a. Uh, it started to get a little bit better for women at that time, you know, than it was in the 19th century. That's for sure. But um, she, you know, did a lot of the photographs for, you know, she was doing things even for hair care um, as long as well as fashion. And it was uh, appearing in a lot of books like people were using her uh, photographs for their books to illustrate their books. So she, um, you know, was pretty becoming pretty big in Paris Um Around that same time, she also had decided to go to the Alps, and she was a member of this group called the Group October. It was a group of communist leading actors and artists um, that include Jacques Prévert and Marcel Dumas. And, um, you know, they were basically at the time, you know, they everybody thought, you know, like how in the States, it was the blacklisted people thinking they're, you know, the communist sympathizers. So <laughs> Um, she was really close with them and she would go with them and she would fo- photograph them. And um, she would also did a whole thing there in, um, in the Alps of this coal mining, uh, coal mining town that was there. And so she went and took all these photographs of 
the miners and the people working there, which included, you know, a lot of um, immigrants and laborers that were coming from uh, from Poland and a lot of other Eastern European countries. And it basically was kind of like once those photographs were seen by people, she was basically like, you know, she became huge because they were amazing and you could still find them online. I'll put them on my website. This is so cool. I love hearing about a successful female photographer. Exactly. And, you know, there's just so little known. I mean, she's, uh, you know, I think most people just like we said at the start, mostly just know her because she was one of, um, you know, a longtime muse and lover of Picasso. But uh, she was much more than that, for sure. Um, She ended up also working with Jean Renoir on a uh, taking photos um, while he was on the set of a movie that he was doing. Jean Renoir, of course, is the son of the artist Renoir, um, who did, um, who was a filmmaker. And so she became, she, that way is how she kind of started to know all of these people, all of these communist actors uh, (laughs) in the October group as she met them um, through working on the set. So she was really involved in um, a lot of things. She was, um, you know, of course, the surrealist where she would work alongside and she was displayed alongside with all of the surrealists. She was usually the only woman. Oh, that's so cool. I'm like all these dudes and she's yeah. just like, yeah. I'm a surrealist. Yeah, she's I mean, she just definitely has this kind of like, don't mess with me kind of vibe to her too. just, you know, just if you see photographs of her, she definitely kind of gives that off. Um, <laughs> she's very strong and knew what she wanted. Um, in December 1935, on a cold night, she was at a table at Les Du Magot in Saint-Germain-de-Prés, and she was sitting at a table. She had her um, hand down on the table with all of her fingers splayed out, and she was doing uh, playing that game where you take a knife and you you just hit it really quickly, and you just in between your fingers, going back and, forth, back and forth. And she just kept doing this like crazy. And Picasso came in and saw her sitting at this table. She was wearing gloves. And, um, you know, every once in a while, she would nick her hand or something like that. And there's like little spots of blood on her gloves. And mm-hmm. Picasso walked over and talked to her. And he was so intrigued by it. There were some things that said that um, apparently he kept those gloves and had them framed, but, uh, a lot of, pe- a lot of the sources, I was also looking into that. Um, they just said, they said that was just kind of a rumor. Nobody knows if that actually happened. Um, mm-hmm. but basically right after that, you know, they, they started seeing each other and their relationship began. He was at the time kind of going through what he called the worst time of his life, um, because he just didn't have any inspiration. She at the time was extremely famous in Paris. Um, and she was kind of at the height of her career while he was kind of at the bottom of his. Interesting. So maybe that's why he was so inspired by her. Yeah. So he was, you know, basically he wasn't really doing any painting or sculpting. Um, he was writing a lot of poems at the time. Um, but she, when they met, and so he basically, um, she inspired him to kind of start, you know, picking up his brushes again. And he began to paint, um, like crazy. Oh, that's so cool. She got Picasso back on the horse. You got him back into it. You know, I don't, don't you just picture it's like Picasso laying on the couch with like Doritos and like, <laughs> you know, be lazy and he's just binging Netflix, you know, <laughs> pandemic Picasso. <laughs> pandemic Picasso. Yeah. But they would actually, they would travel together and photograph each other. And it, she inspired him to use this technique called the um, cliche vert, 
which is basically using um, photos, kind of like a decoupage kind of a thing within some of his art. So he started doing that in August of 1936. Um, he painted her for the very first time. He painted her quite a few times um, over their relationship. She, other than um, his first wife, Olga, Dora is basically captured more in his art than most people um, that he, you know, more than the other women that he was with. In um, January 1937, he wanted to find a larger space that he could paint. And Dora ended up finding him this large um, atelier in the upper part of this building at number seven, Rue des Grands Augustins. Um, you could still go by there today. There's a plaque on the door um, that says this is where he had a um, studio. And it's also where he did one of his most famous pieces. Um, but he thought this place was perfect because it was also the address used in a Balzac 1831 um, short story that he wrote about three artists. It was called The Unknown Masterpiece. It was about a, a young unknown um, uh, artist and two masters. And they had this studio there. That was the address that uh, Balzac use it, used for it. So um, and it was something that, you know, it was a story that Picasso loved. Um, Cezanne also loved it. It was beloved by a lot of artists. And so when Picasso knew that this was the same address, he knew this is where he had to had to have a studio. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, he lived there during the occupation. He, he was there from 37 to 1955. He spent the Nazi occupation there. Um, for the most part, they would come there, bother him, um, but for the most part, they kind of left him alone. Um, in the start of 1937, he was commissioned to paint a large painting um, by the Spanish government that would hang in the Spanish pavilion of the exhibition in Paris that was coming up in a few years. And so Dora at the time, um, on April 26, 1937, the Germans, um, on the behalf of um, Francisco Franco, um, bombed the Basque city of Guernica. Mm. And this was during the Spanish Civil War. So she was really involved in all of these things, outraged by what this has happened. And she kept pushing him and encouraging him that he needed to do something about this. And so he, you know, also had the Spanish government saying, we want, we need something for this. You know, we'll pay, we'll pay you to do this. And so finally he decided um, that he would do something to for the, you know, outrage of what happened in Guernica. So he basically had this huge, huge canvas and Dora took pictures of him and kind of documented the whole process. And so he had painted this huge painting. It was 25 by 11 feet. It's all done in black and white. Um, and it was all done with house paint. Oh, that's wild. Yeah. And so, um, you know, you could see this in, it's down in, um, in Spain, but um, you can see uh, smaller versions and, of course, see it online. Um, there's a tapestry that was made into a tapestry. One of them is actually hanging at the UN in, in, uh, in New York. Um, wow. But uh, the painting itself is, if you look at it closely, and I'll, of course, put pictures on the website, um, but it's def definitely like you, it was at a market. So there was, it was market day. In Guernica, and so there was like hundreds and hundreds of people at the market when this bomb fell and killed a, an immense amount of people. And the painting is of you know like there's a horse with like 
his mouth open and you could just tell that it's like the horse, you know, he it's, it's Picasso and, you know, he's got all these, um, you know, pictures of, uh, you know, it's uh, things on top of things. So it's not like, you know, here's this horse standing over there on the side. Yeah. Yeah. That it's like the horse is like, you know, probably falling down to the, to the, you know, it's falling down onto the street. There's um, like a woman where you could tell she's holding a baby and screaming. The, if you look at the painting closely, you, you, um, it's so beautifully done, but it's even once you know that this happened at a market and all these people were killed and that's what he was um, depicting onto this huge canvas, it's uh, it's even more emotional to see that. I mean, it's such a, it's, you know, one of his most famous pieces that he ever did in his life. Um, and once you know kind of the story behind it, it's even more shocking. Yeah, we studied it in my Spanish class, but I didn't know Dora was the one that pushed him to do it. Yeah. She pushed him and she took all these photographs of the process. He was an incredibly fast artist. Like he could, there's actually, you could, there was a video I've seen um, that they just basically did start to finish of him doing this one painting. And it's just basically in like, I mean, he barely even takes the brush off of the canvas. It's just like these really quick moves. Um, And so she kind of documented this. He did tons of sketches uh, for different parts. Um, there was a exhibit at the um, Army Museum in Paris a few years ago. It was called Picasso and War. And it was all these different things of over time, you know, like he did the dove, the peace dove, and he did all these things. But for Guernica, Guernica, of course, was not there because it doesn't leave um, Madrid. But they had a bunch of his sketches that he did. So you could see his process before he finally, um, you know, came to the final installment of it. Um, but it's really interesting to see the different ideas that he worked into it before what became the final piece. That is interesting. I had yeah. no idea the woman was involved. Yeah. And it did go, um, it was actually after he did it, it went for a short time. It actually came to the U.S. because he eventually wanted to go into, to, he wanted it to be in Spain where he was from. Um, but he would not let it go there until the dictatorship had finally had gone out of power and that was in his will saying you know i've given it to this museum it'll go to this museum but it will not leave it will not arrive on spanish soil until this dictatorship is out of office that's so interesting i mean he's right he's passionate yeah so once that finally happened he ended up um being it was it's now there in madrid and i've had many people tell me they've seen it and i it's one thing i definitely want to go down and check out but she you know documented this whole process she was um you know just as much a probably one of his biggest you know of the women his biggest muse um that kind of kept him going because i think she you know she was an artist as well they had a like it definitely had a trust between them that far exceeded just their, um, their romantic relationship. He painted her um, quite a few times. There's even one that he painted, he did a painting of her with um, his uh, former uh, lover, Mary Therese Walter. She was the mother of his daughter, Maya. She was, um, when she started up with Picasso, he was still kind of with Marie um, and, uh, so that he kind of would do a thing where he'd kind of, I think, put, use them against each other a little bit, but he did this one painting of the two women sitting on a couch, which that's gotta be. <laughs> uh, I love that he was doing weird stuff like that. Yeah. Um, uh, but when, uh, you know, at, towards the end of their relationship, he started up with another, you know, the next woman, Francois Gio in 1943, 
Um, the year before in 1942, her mother died. Um, following that, her father about that same time moved to Argentina. Um, a close friend of hers, um, Jacqueline Lamba, was exiled out of France that she couldn't come back. Um, so she kind of had this uh, mental like breakdown. Um, she was uh, completely kind of went you know, kind of just off the deep end. She thought she was hallucinating and seeing things. Um, and at wow. that same time, he kind of had already started up with Francoise. And so she, um, she ended up getting, uh, having to check into a hospital and she was given electric shock therapy. Picasso, of course, was, you know, taking care of all of this for her and finding doctors that could help her. Um, but she just kind of wasn't really the same um, at the same time, she decided she was going to become Catholic. She had de definitely had had in her life very um, strong feelings about different things, and, but they would change all the time. Like she was really into communism. And then it was like next thing she was a Catholic. And then the next <laughs> time, um, but he uh, took care, you know, helped take care of her health needs. He ended up um, getting her a house down in, towards the South in uh, Mary, Mary Barra. And in 1946, and their relationship finally ended. He had been already with Francoise for two years. Oh, no. <laughs> um, after they after that ended, she began to start. She started painting. Um, she still did some photography. A lot of um, a few things actually said that, you know, she never photographed again after him. But that wasn't exactly true. She just she started painting. Um, she did photography less. Um, but she um, had the um, house down in the south and then she had an apartment um, on Rue de Savoie, which is just a few blocks away from where Picasso lived. Um, at that time, she was, uh, she was a painter. She was even designing stage sets. And she um, also painted a portrait of Alice B. Toklas, who was the partner of Gertrude Stein. It's all related. Yeah. In um, 1944 with Picasso, she had met an, um, an army soldier named James Lord. Um, she would re reunite with him for a short period of time. He was an art critic and he published some pieces about Picasso, which really ticked Picasso off. Uh, <laughs> 1993, um, long after Picasso had died, he published a book called Picasso and um, Adora, a personal memoir. And it was filled with all of these stories that she had told him about her life with Picasso. Oh, that's interesting. I want to read that. Yeah. So a good thing Picasso had been dead because he probably would have killed the guy. But, yeah. <laughs> but the rest of her alive, she basically was painting and photographing. Um, she... Uh, ended up kind of um, she would spend most of her time down the South and then in Paris. Um, but she would take part in some exhibits every once in a while, but nobody saw her um, basically after December of 1991. Um, they did a exhibit of hers. And um, of after that, she, that was nobody had, had saw her after that in Paris in 1997 on the, in the apartment on Rue de Savoie, she, a, no, a neighbor had saw her and noticed that she looked really sick. <clears throat> and then the next day, the neighbor ended up calling an ambulance to come see her. She was taken to the hospital and she died um, a few days later on July 16th, 1997. Well, she lived a long time. Yeah. Yeah. But they, she died. Um, she was buried. Um, but nobody, it was never published in, in anywhere until 10 days after she died. Le Monde um, posted an article about her 
Um, and then uh, the next day, the New York Times published one. And the New York Times, the title was A Muse of Picasso. That's all it was. Ah. I didn't give a name. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, but they, I mean, in the article, it, it did say her name, but, you know, it didn't even say, you know, this, you know, photographer and artist, you know, Dora Mar and Muse of Picasso. It just was basically, she was just broken down to just being the Muse of Picasso. Yeah. I feel like that would happen a lot to women. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, Picasso painted her more than, you know, most of the other women. Um, a lot of them are in his, uh, what he called the weeping women paintings. So there's a lot, long series of paintings that sh- of women crying, um, because he said, I can never see her and never imagine her except crying. Oh, wow. So she cried a lot. <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah. I mean, I don't think at the start she did, but probably later on. Um, but yeah, she lived to be 89 years old. I thought that she was going to die pretty soon when they started doing electric shock and stuff to her. Yeah, I mean, that's just a horrible practice. I mean, that was a thing not a lot of people know. Hemingway also had that like multiple times at the end of his life. Um, I don't, I wonder if they even still do that because that just sounds just horrific. Yeah, I don't see how that could help anybody. It sounds like torture. Yeah, definitely torture. Um, a couple of years ago, they made this um, amazing documentary or not documentary, but it was a um, mini series. Um, it was National Geographic. They've done it on a couple different people. It was called Genius, and it was all about Picasso. And Anthony or Antonio Antonio Banderas played Picasso, which he was born in the same town as Picasso, so it was kind of interesting. Um, but Dora Mar this is free is uh, featured quite a bit in it, and it's really, really, it's a really, really good um, show and really, really well done. And so you could learn a little bit more about her and kind of, uh, you know, get an idea of what uh, what their relationship was a little bit. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Claudine. And I can't wait to see all the pictures and everything on your website so we can learn more about Dora. And Claudine's going to be here soon, guys. So you're going to be seeing a lot of live footage of her around Paris. And don't forget to tune in next week for another episode. Thank you for listening to Paris History Avec A. Hemingway. If you want to find out some more, you could always find me on my Instagram page, Claudine Bleu Blanc Rouge, and that's B-L-E-U, as in the French way to spell it. And each day I post a daily history lesson about a person or a place or something in Paris, or it's lots of fun facts. And then also at ClaudineHemingway.com, where you can also sign up for my newsletter there.